Hello, and welcome to Art Is What I'm Doing. I'm your host, Johnny Feely. And I am reflecting on this week's episode right now uh, as I prepare to upload it. Um, and what comes to mind is that it wasn't that smart to uh, interview one of my favorite musicians of all time for the second episode I've ever had of a podcast. And that's because I didn't, I still don't know how to interview people and I'm learning. But in this case, I realized that I was starstruck, which kind of, I, I'm just kind of faking it till I make it here. And this made it really hard to do that. Um, you know, I, so I need to ask for some excusing when it comes to the like questions. I even edited them so they sound a little more normal because if I didn't, you all would be like, oh, you know, this guy, this is a, di- a disaster. Um, and yet Jeffrey Lewis, with incredible finesse, just navigated this complex social situation like a, uh, I don't know, like a, like a genius. And that's what he is. Jeffrey Lewis, I'd argue, is the grandfather of the anti-folk movement. Not that I know that much about it. And he's a great comic book author, uh, but overall just a really good guy. Um, to be honest, I thought he was so famous that uh, it, you know, asking him for an interview felt like, uh, like talking to a magic eight ball or something. And then it just, res- well, they always respond, but he responded and magic eight balls aren't famous, but he's famous. And I just feel lucky he gave me his time. Um, so without further ado, uh, you're listening to Art Is What I'm Doing. My name is Johnny Feely. Om Namo Narayanaya. Please enjoy. The last two years of not being able to tour have been, you know, required a lot of readjustment of how I'm spending my time and how I'm expecting to make money with the things that I do. And it's been quite incredible, actually, for me to get reorganized and to see my whole artistic body of work in ways that make me real, you know, I have made a living the last two years without touring and I spent 20 years not knowing that I could do that. So yeah, I guess that's what I was curious about. Yeah. Is there a part of it that's like, um, I don't know, there has to be some comfort to in not being nomadic. Um, but yeah, everybody's different with that. Like I, I find it really startling to move around a ton. Um, but at different times in my life, it was uniquely comforting. Like what is your experience nowadays with sleeping in a different place every few nights? Well, ironically, this would have been a perfect couple of years for me to hit the road hard because I, you know, the pandemic hit and it kind of killed the long-term relationship that I was in. And I always thought there would come a time when I would want to take some years potentially off the road to, you know, have kids or be more, you know, there might, there might've come a time when I needed to take a sabbatical to devote that time to relationship and family. And that this kind of enforced sabbatical just happened to hit me at the wrong time for that, because it's like, I just lost the, you know, I lost the relationship that I would have been dedicating myself to. And instead it's kind of just been this two year void of like loneliness where 
the cure for this would have potentially been to like, okay, well, I have nothing going on in my life, so I might as well tour more. But right, that's right. been off the table too. So what I have, what I've been able to do to like make up for that lack is, you know, I've gotten a lot more organized with my web store. It's in a thousand times better condition than it ever was before. And it's yeah. almost hard for me to remember how crummy it was before <laughs> I did all these changes. Uh, a whole new website, which really needed to happen. My old website was very, very out of date. I wrapped up my old comic book series and collected it. And I started this new comic book series. I, I worked out a very good uh, distribution deal for my new comic book series. So I'm on a much higher level with my comics than I was. I don't know if that's going to continue. They're, they're giving me a shot with this. And I, I don't know if my new comic series is going to like sell sufficiently to maintain this distribution deal. But this is statics, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I certainly am in a much better position with my web store and my comic books, and um, and even in some ways with my my streaming and my online, uh, you know, Bandcamp and Spotify and the these other sources of places where I can put my music and have some control over what I'm releasing and when and get a sense of what the income stream is there. I mean, I'm doing pretty well in those regards in ways that I wouldn't have been forced to pay as much attention to previously, yeah. but um, I've done a number of successful releases in that way, but that's also just come out of a period of throwing a lot of things at the wall in the early months of the pandemic. So I relate to you a lot. I love making visual and uh, visual art and music. So it's always what I'm reeling about. And yet I am in this position and I've always worked a job. Like right now I work in outreach work and it's like, if I combine those two things, like my money stream and that I get so overwhelmed by it. I feel like so, um, mentally distraught and it, it's harder for me to create things um i mean am i interpreting it right that i see you almost like more driven by it like you kind of enjoy the there's a puzzle to it and i enjoy, enjoy the challenge that. very much i yeah very much it, in some ways i never intended to be this way i certainly all i wanted to do was to make comic books and yes. um, be really good at drawing. And yeah. my entry into the world of music and the fact that I ended up making a life in music, in some ways there, was, there wasn't as much contradiction there with having to simultaneously figure out how to make money with it because to some degree that's the only reason that kept me involved with music because it's like, oh, if I'm not making money, I should, I'm work, I'll just work on comic books, fine. You know, right. it's like I, there's no reason for me to do a tour if I'm not going to make money. If I can't figure out a way to make money on it, like, all right, I'll stay home and draw comics. Like, yeah. you know, it's like I have it, like the comics remain the kind of foundation of where I. Th but I mean, you know, I love making the songs and I feel like I've got something to contribute in that realm. That is maybe more than what I have to contribute in the comic book realm. In some ways, the world of music 
needs me more than the world of comics needs me because what I bring to the world of music is a little weirder, like a, <laughs> yeah. a little more left field than what I bring. You know, in the world of comics, there are people doing things adjacent to what I'm doing and they're doing it much, much better than me. And I recognize that I have really? a lot more work to do. But in the world of music, I really think that if you remove me from the landscape for the last 20 years, there's nobody to replace what I bring to the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. good or bad, and I could always improve, and I have a lot of improvement to go. I, I want to get better at it, but still in all, warts and all, I, what I'm doing is pretty unique in the realm of music. And I'm, I'm you know, so in that sense, that gave me a career in music in a way that my comic career didn't ever, you know, I, I never felt, I, I was never as necessary, um, but I was making more comics when I had day jobs. You know, when I got out of college, uh, I thought music would be like, oh, this will be like a way for me to make money and then I'll be able to make more. I won't be able, I won't, I, if I don't have to have a day job, I'll be able to make more comics. But it was the complete opposite. I mean, all the time that it has taken me to be occupied with this music career, I've certainly made a lot more comics when I had day jobs. Totally. Yeah. Well, and yeah, what you're saying is, it's it, it kind of the value is pretty transcendent in music at this point like i started listening to your music when i was like 15 um so i've listened to your music for you know half of my life now and what you're describing is true and i don't know how many people you encounter like this but i um uh, my life trajectory would have been a lot different without the context you gave to uh, independent music. And it's not to say, I mean, there's tons of independent musicians, but there was something a little bit extra about knowing you were out there making the types of recordings you were um, that made me feel just very validated as a musician. And like, um, it, it maybe it quelled my desire to like, be really absolute about it. Like uh, I need to go be a rock star or not. Like it gave me a tremendous scaffolding to like build my own artistry around. Well, I, you know, I just make, you know, that was all spearheaded by other people who came before me. I mean, I was just following in the footsteps of what I learned from Daniel Johnston, from, right. you know, from Will Oldham, from Sebado, from, yep. uh, yeah, you know, from the Fugs, uh, from you know, there's Woody Guthrie recordings where it just sounds like, oh, this is just a guy, you know, yeah, like the, you know, so that the, the fact that you could make something that was just like, here's a person making something, and that has such a value that you can't even buy, yeah, you know, so that, yeah, I mean, I'm just part of the. I certainly can't take any credit for. I mean, there may have been by by accident of history, there may be certain people for whom I'm their first experience of that. But right. I take no credit at all for inventing or like doing. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's I'm I'm just following in the footsteps of the people who inspired me. Yeah, and then I mean, you it is just kind of a gateway to those things because that's like what happens. You you know maybe you start with uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know when I arrived at listening to your music, but it was. Uh, you know, along with all those other people, I think there was just something about, you know, seeing it in the current time and like, okay, there's like 
this is happening in real time, for, you know, for me. Let me add, like, have you heard any of the stuff that I, because I've been releasing more homemade music in the last couple of years since the shutdown, where I'm yeah. just putting it on Bandcamp because it doesn't seem appropriate to be manufacturing physical copies of stuff when I, there's no tour to sell it on. And I have an apartment full of merchandise anyway. I have all these CDs and records and comic books, shirts. So I kind of thought these Bandcamp releases would be an interesting way to have a home for, in some ways, like a return to the kind of, it's just me alone in a place recording by hook or by crook the various things that come through me. So um, I don't, but I don't know if Bandcamp is really an appealing place for people to find me. It's certainly not, I, I, it just seemed convenient for me, but in some ways, it, because in the real world of music, certainly the last couple records that I put out in 2015 and 2019 were, uh, you know, those are projects where I was like, what's the best kind of rec? What's the best record I can make um, in, you know, where we go into the studio uh, for the, the bad wiring record. We really knew, you know, we had been touring those songs for at least a year or two with the band. We really knew how to play them. I picked a great producer, Roger Mutino, who made all the Yellow Tango records that I love so much. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a nice studio in Nashville. And I really, you know, just gave it my best shot to make like a quote good record. Yeah. Um, but then since then with the shutdown, it's like, oh, you know, well, now I'm just kind of in the I have the opportunity to and the excuse to just go back to making bad recordings. Uh, totally. You know? yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't really know because uh, just because you're saying that you're somebody who appreciates the, you know, the so-called bad recordings. um, I wonder if you've encountered any of the stuff that I've done on Bandcamp in the last couple of years. Because something that you said before just opened my eyes to an element of it that I wasn't really thinking of, which is that you're saying experiencing that in real time. And that is something that I've felt a little disconnected from because after making my initial batch of homemade recordings, I did – do all of these studio album experiments because you're like, oh, now I have the resource to see what would happen if I, you know, did this or now this time let's try doing it this way. Right. Because I know what's going to happen when I just sit down and play the song in front of a tape recorder because I've already right. done that a bunch. But now right. that I've returned, now that I've kind of returned to doing that, I'm doing it in real time again. And totally. I didn't, you just, you just pointed out to me the value of the fact that it's real time. It's not just like, it's not just like, oh, I did that once, but the fact that I could be doing it now in real time, especially with the unfolding dramas of the pandemic and the way it felt different and from one month to the next, the songs that I'm that are coming out are very much in real time. Yeah, and well, I guess it's like the way the internet has turned is like it's less of an archive as maybe when it all started and now maybe things are becoming more about real time. I'm just thinking about what the pandemic did to my brain as I use the internet. And it's like your uh, people are pretty obsessed with how close to now can we get and be on the internet. That's, that's what feels relevant. But I guess what you're asking just for the direct answer, I definitely was not reached that the band camps out there. I, um, very much 
the bad wiring stuff did reach me, but not not any awareness of the Bandcamp thing, just from a lack of yeah. knowing. Yeah, because the Bandcamp yeah. stuff is a little more it doesn't get out there into the world the way yeah. that something on stream, like do, you mean that you found bad wiring on streaming because it's there. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Right. So I've kind of been deliberately not putting all this other stuff on streaming because I don't feel like it's really stuff that I want a mass audience to stumble on. You know, I feel like if the average human being out there turns on their music listening device and it's like, you know, and the algorithm says, oh, you like, uh, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Oh, oh you like Jonathan Richmond and, the, and uh, you know, and the Moldy Peaches and the Mountain Goats. So, you know, maybe you would like Jeffrey Lewis. So it plays them one of my songs and they're hearing me for the first time. I don't want that first time to necessarily yeah, yeah. be these things I'm just making at home now because they're, they're very kind of personal and they're very raw and they're, you know, they're very, quote, badly recorded. So yeah. I've just been put Bandcamp seems like kind of a private way, a little pocket of the of the Internet where I can make stuff, put it up there. And it doesn't ha it only is accessible to people who want to find it. It's not going to be accidentally put in the face of somebody that might not be the kind of person who wants to hear that. I think Bandcamp's a it's such a funny platform, though, because it's like you. uh I always think of Bandcamp as where I go to listen to my friends' music that are like literally, I'm seeing them. You know what I mean? Like, cause they, cause I'm like just that aware of it. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's SoundCloud is the platform where you think you're going to maybe see things like that, you know? Cause Bandcamp is, mm. I mean, once you know about it, then. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll go down that hole pretty often. But, you know, but, but the yeah, thing is, uh, yeah. SoundCloud, as far as I'm aware, is not monetized. Uh, yeah, you're probably right about that. Because, uh, you know, yeah. streaming, Spotify stuff, I get money from that. A lot, yeah. of people, a lot of people complain about they wish they were getting more money from streaming. But yeah. I, get, I get a good amount of money from streaming because I have, you know, a lot of material on there that gets a lot of listens or at least – a lot of listens relative to me, not a lot of listens relative to Radiohead, but I make, yeah, no, you know, I, make yeah, yeah, yeah. I make a few thousand dollars a year from that. And that's significant to yeah. me. Um, well, I, yeah, I took a look. I, I was like, you know, in anticipation of talking to you, I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on with your Spotify, which like I've, I've, you know, I like download the albums that I listen to, but I wanted to look at it. And then I was looking at the, you know, those top five songs they put up and, um, I was actually super surprised Cult Boyfriend was like the most, I was like, yeah. that's so interesting. Isn't to that me. so weird? Like the, that's so random. Yeah. That, <laughs> it really is so random. Like 2 I million never, plays or something. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, roll bus roll. That makes sense. Back when I was four, that makes sense. Um, Seattle caught me off guard. I was like, really? That's so interesting. And you know, what's weird about the Seattle stuff. And I know it's like totally, whack for me to talk clinically about pieces of art that came like you know that were tearing off pieces of my bleeding uh heart and now i'm like speaking of it and like well you know but it has an algorithmically 2.5 percent more streams than last week you know <laughs> generating 23 dollars and 22 cents but j because it's so interesting to me to see the way that you can actually kind of see the back room of the algorithm you know 
if I log on as an artist and I see what is getting listened to, it's just bizarre and weird. Because, right, first of all, I would never have picked Cult Boyfriend in a million years as a song that would get the most listens out of my catalog. I, it wouldn't have been in my top 30. It was like... So shocking. Yeah. yeah. But once it's in that position, it's just self-perpetuating. Because anybody <laughs> that's going to check me out is like, oh, what's this guy's best song? What's his most... Po- oh, that's obviously his best song because that's got 2 million listens. You know, and then it's got 2 million and 1 listens. And then it just perpetuates... The, 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 the momentum of it is self-perpetuating. But, but then you mentioned Seattle... And that song, for some weird reason, out of nowhere, just in the last year, um, is getting like more listens than Cult Boyfriend oh, randomly. Recently. Yeah, yeah. But it's not caught up. To, it's not caught up to Cult Boyfriend yet. But if it yeah. keeps on, if the ratio of listens continues on the current trajectory, it will overtake Cult Boyfriend in about two and a half years as being my most listened to song. And it did not. That just started to happen about a year ago. It just shot up. It had this supercharged, suddenly leapt up way up there, and it's just been running at an incredible pace since. And I, I, it, these things are so freaking weird. But what's also very weird to me that I've noticed as I've had the last two years to just sit, at, sit in my home and look at this stuff and start to be aware of it in ways that I hadn't ever been aware of it before the pandemic, um, album order seems to make an impact in ways that are very weird. Like, you know, I think when a song is one of the best songs on a record, but it's one of the last songs on a record, it just has much less of a chance of catching any algorithmic momentum because every song on a record is another chance for people's attention to be taken somewhere else. They're like, oh, I'm going to put on this record while I cook dinner. So, of course, the first few songs always get listened by everybody who checks it out, but a smaller and smaller percentage of people make it all the way through to the last few songs. And, you know, because there's just a greater and greater percentage that the phone rings or they switch to something else. So there is basically nowadays very little incentive to do anything other than put what you think of the strongest songs as the first and second song. And there's no point in having a record that feels like, it feels like you want to put this song here and this song here because the songs that are towards the second half of the record don't get any kind of a shot at being listened to the way that the songs in the first half of the record do. Totally. And then because yeah, of the, yeah. self, the self-perpetuating momentum of the algorithm, like, you're, you know, like we were saying about how now everybody who wants to check me out, the first song they hear is called Boyfriend, which just makes it more, rel- more likely that the next person who wants to check me out, that's the first song they hear, um, that the first half – you know, the first songs on a record also get that unfair leg up in life that the later songs don't get that. So I'm, it's like next time I make a record, I'm like, I have to be thinking about that when I'm composing the order of songs. I don't want to be thinking about that. I know. Yeah. Well, I, you could just, if you don't, then you don't, <laughs> it doesn't, it, it doesn't bode well. It's like you're intentionally doing something that's going to give a disadvantage. And subconsciously, you're always going to, this is always going to affect the way one thinks about an album at this point, you know, because if you want it to be reaching people. And I, I didn't even know, uh, like, consciously what you just said, but I'm just thinking about, like, having sessions with my own band and we've got our nine songs that we're really digging. And I, I am thinking about it a lot. Like, how are we going to order these? Which people always think about to some extent in, 
you know, since albums are being made, you're always thinking, how am I going to keep the person's attention? But maybe we weren't so desperate to keep, maybe the assumption used to be more like, well, they'll stick around for the whole album, right? You know? Right. But also what's interesting is financially speaking, who cares if they stuck around for the whole album because they bought the whole album. So right. I had no, they bought the whole album and I, from that moment on, I have no awareness of which songs they like better or which songs they're listening to more or whether they're listening to the whole album top to bottom because the $10 that I got for that record is the be all end all of that transaction. Now, um, in order to get that same $10, there have to be X number, hundreds of thousands of streams from the record. And then it really does become important like which songs people are listening to and how much they're listening to them because they're, you know, I might end up with a successful record. I mean, picture this nowadays, you can end up with a very successful record that makes you a good amount of money, maybe makes you the same $10, right? Or makes you a hundred dollars, whatever it is. It could be the same amount of money, but it could be a record where literally nobody has ever heard eight of those songs. They, you know, so you're like, okay, this record is really out there. It's generating money. But the second half of the album, like, has never even been listened to at all. Like, that's possible. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. And and um, and maybe people spent more money on recording the songs that were on the second half, and they're not going to make that money back. You know, maybe totally, there was a song yeah. where they put a whole string section on, and maybe it's a, you know, maybe that's the epic song that ends the album, right? And yeah. they've spent more money of their recording budget on that one song than on the other songs. But that song is not going to justify its recording budget because no one hears it compared to the earlier songs that cost yeah. less, took less studio time. Because yeah, then, yeah. then it turns into like how much money you're paying for the studio time and then where it, where it goes on the album. So it's, it's so weird. But It really is, yeah. Our whole concept of an album is weird anyway. I mean, that's just a technological conception yeah. anyway. There's almost no point in releasing albums onto streaming yeah. at all. You're almost much better off only releasing single songs that – you know, here's a new song. Okay, wow, he has a new release. Then, you know, a few weeks later, here's a new song. Wow, you know, like, you, it, albums are self-defeating in that atmosphere. So the record labels, um, in my case, and I think probably in the case of everybody who is having their stuff released by somebody who theoretically is supposed to know what they're doing with a release nowadays, these people say they know what they're doing. So the way they do it is they release one song, and then the next time... They released another song, but the first song remains there too. And then they release another one. And then after maybe three of those, then they drop the whole album. Yeah. Yeah. It's, man, I, yeah, I feel like unclear as to whether or not, like there are parts of it that are exciting because it's just, it's just what's happening. So it's like, okay, that's music, I guess. My modern day method of, you know, quickly taping a song is I'll just, I'll record it into the phone or yeah. I'll record it into the laptop. Uh, it's basically just that same immediacy of like, here's a thing. I just hit the button and I play the song. Yeah. There's a change in like what represents impulsiveness is so different now where like, so I have the newest iPad mini, which is like, I've always used an iPad mini because I like them and they're, they're just cool. Um, and I've done a lot with it, but I, so I use the garage band on that a lot, just on my own having fun. Like if I'm writing a song, I, that's what I use. 
but it's like incredibly spectacular. Like the sound is amazing. And it's funny that there's features to make it lower quality. You, you had this long history of doing the thing that was impulsive, like, and getting that, the same sound that Daniel Johnston had in those recordings. And it's interesting to me now that like, if you want to capture that sound, it actually is the opposite. You have to go farther out of your way to capture a sound that sounds impulsive. Do you, do you mourn the loss of the, that texture that comes with that and what it represents? Well, to some degree, a big factor in that texture, uh, or at least my understanding of it, since I don't have that much of an understanding of like actual engineering, uh, I think a lot of the texture that I love in certain recordings by certain artists um, is the fact that it's all being done. It's not separate mics. That there's a, there's a sound when all, when all the sounds are being captured in one place rather than separate places of capture that are then put together, whether it's done live or whether it's done multi-tracked, there's something about the sound of the room, the air in the room, the, the, re, the natural reverberations of these things in a room that almost all recording is by almost by definition trying to eliminate that. It's like, all good quality what's what's considered good quality recordings the extent to which they like eliminate that like that kind of bleed of other sounds or the messiness of what things actually sound like so i have you know my uh i just feel like that that whole idea of like low fidelity and high fidelity like the the idea of the word fidelity which is like truthfulness um and you know it's kind of i always feel like it's the opposite it's like uh, the real low truthfulness recording is the one that's made multi-tracked in a studio that doesn't, that just, you know, eliminates the room and the time and the real high fidelity recording, the real like document of an actual place and time and room and moment. And, you know, is the one that's just like the quick one microphone yeah. recording yeah, yeah. of everything. But, you know, there's a lot of great art that would have been, that's impossible without that multi-track recording, or nice quality recording studios and everything. You know, I think of like the first Pink Floyd album, I'm like a huge fan of that stuff. And, you know, they had the budgets, they were recording with like these top engineers at EMI, you know, they had access to the same level of gear and expertise of engineering that the Beatles had, because they happened to be signed and have this incredible opportunity to record the first Pink Floyd record. But in any other circumstance, they would have ended up it would have been more like the Velvet Underground where their first couple records were recorded like shit. And they would have, it would have been incredibly interesting. What would have happened if the historical roles had been reversed? Like if by some stroke of accident, the Velvet Underground had gotten signed to a fancy studio recording contract, the way Pink Floyd had. And if Pink Floyd had just had to make these lo-fi, you know, quickie document recordings of their first couple records, yeah. it's just mind blowing how that, what the difference that what that would have been to you know they but they would have made great they would have been incredible records regardless because the songs are incredible and that's always been my thing oh, yeah if the songs are great then the end product is great that's the oh end yeah yeah i mean that's it i i always do wonder if some of those if pink floyd was doing his thing right now would it how would it rise i mean it's so you can't take that away obviously because the whole world would be different but like uh i don't know if 
just one of the albums, just like A Saucer Full of Secrets wasn't there and life went on and somebody put it out there right now, would everybody be like, this is genius? Or would they be like, okay, cool. That's cool. I, but, you know? I think it's, it's, it would be genius. If somebody put, if that album didn't exist and somebody yeah. was like, here's this album by this band, you know, and it has freaking, you know, remember a day and set the controls for the heart of the sun. And, you know, and it ends with jug band blues. Oh and man. Just like, <laughs> This is the most fucked up, incredible album I've ever heard. Like, you know, yeah. bar, you know, a few mediocre moments in there um, with uh, whatever, you know, there's like a couple of boring songs in there. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The story about Jug Band Blues is so cool. Like, have you taken in that like insight? Well, of- the thing where where like they where Sid was just like bring in a Salvation Army band and tell them to play whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that yeah. goes to show, I mean, that's like, you know, that goes to show that kind of thing where it's like, whatever you record, like the subjective nature of it, whatever you do, like, it could be great if you plan it or it could be great if you don't plan it. Like, oh, yeah, who knows? Totally. Just, just do it. And like, maybe some unfathomable magic will occur. I left high school and Instagram was a thing, you know? Um, But like for you, you were creating content far before that. So it's like, it must be really different to be like, I guess I'm just going to show people what I've been doing anyway and take a picture of it. But it's like, uh, your brain starts to think about art different. Now when I make art, I'm like, okay, got to save the file, got to upload it, see if, 16 people say hey good job john i'm like all right yeah drew a turtle like and you know whatever it is that day Mm -hmm. uh you know and but your brain starts (laughs) thinking different because i'm like then at times i'm like i need to draw and not be thinking about if somebody else is going to be peering over and looking at every little scribble i put on a piece of paper or yeah (laughs) yeah it's very strange times in in that regard yeah yeah but when I, one thing that I can't stand about it, I even I even hate saying the names of all these businesses. You know, like I, there's no open, unbranded space in that realm. At least in that realm, there isn't. There yeah. still is yeah. out here in the in the real world. But yes. there's um, like in Mexico, uh, there. Not that I'm such an expert, of, but uh, there like the Zocalo, like a town square. The mm-hmm. word Zocalo, which I'm probably not pronouncing uh, with 100% accuracy, but I feel like this, our current lack of a public square, I feel like there needs to be a Zocalo for, uh, you know, for us to do our things where we, because right now everything is so branded. It's like we're not hanging out in a space that's our realm. We're hanging out in instagram trademark owned by so-and-so we're hanging out in you know spotify trademark owned by so-and-so we're hanging out on Bandcamp, trademark owned by so-and-so we're you know every space is like these you know these fiefdoms of uh are you know where we are like the serfs creating the content for these businesses and it's almost like you know the the it's like as if every single music venue was like a mcdonald you know Hey guys, I'm going to play in McDonald's tonight. I'm going to play at 
you know, yeah. Disney, live, live music, Disney. It's like all of like in the real world, you can escape that if you're, you know, you can fall into it, but you can also choose to not go there. But in these other channels of sharing, we're currently in an era where there seems to be no wiggle room away from a branded square rather than a public square. And that's very uncomfortable. Isn't that fascinating? Wouldn't you think it would happen by now? Wouldn't you think somebody would say, this is just a blank, and then people would flock to it, you would think, but then it, that's what happens. It does. And then it gets gobbled up. You know, maybe Reddit felt like that back in the day, but that's gobbled up. Like when you, you would think they'd keep emerging though. I, we just, well, we like, can't seem to shift very quickly though. You know, digital. Well, because there isn't the funding because these things take tremendous amounts of funding to have a whole team yeah. of programmers and thinkers and planners and processors that, you know, make Spotify, you know, so optimized and make Instagram so optimized. And it just takes all this money that isn't there when it isn't, you know, a fine, when it isn't a for-profit situation. Like somebody would have to be so altruistic as to make something not for profit, but then the product of that thing, what they make would also just have less people's work hours put into optimizing it because they're exactly they would, people would just be working as volunteers or something, or I don't know what. No, exactly. Yeah, it's just that's your trajectory but and and people are people are free to just like try to do that we just it would take too much effort if i was like i'm gonna take 60 of my people that all love the same things and we're just gonna share our art in this weird web space like it doesn't the momentum's not there because you're always like i'm gonna check out i'm still gonna check out the big shit like i'm you know because it's because i'm not walking there i'm just you know like going really quickly to it um yeah. Well, I try yeah. to shift. I try to shift uh, messages out of Instagram to just regular text messaging, at least you know, so that I don't have to go into fucking yeah. Facebook Messenger, Instagram, whatever to to like text with somebody. I'm like, let's just here's my number. Let's just switch this to regular unbranded texting. I mean, whatever. It's still the money's going to T-Mobile or whatever the hell. Yeah, uh, but just trying to be conscious. Yeah, at least I don't have to say the name T-Mobile when I'm texting with them, right? I don't have yeah. to. I don't have to advertise for it just by even doing it. Yeah, um, which is yeah. part of why I'm I'm like I'm like curmudgeonly against uh, those uh, Bandcamp Fridays, right? Every, all the artists are like, "Hey, everybody, it's Bandcamp Friday. You can get my stuff, and all the money goes directly to me." Like, isn't that so wonderful that Bandcamp <laughs> is doing that? And I think Bandcamp has a great platform, like it's very useful, but yeah, yeah. to save you know, the saving of that 10% fee or 15% fee, it fluctuates for me between 10 and 15%, um, is not worth me advertising for them. Because for example, if somebody say, I say, Hey everybody, it's Bandcamp Friday. And say I sell 10 records because of that. And therefore all that money has gone to me rather than a percentage going to Bandcamp. And therefore I've saved $150, right? Maybe, maybe yeah. I've sell a lot of records that day and the percentage adds up to $150. Okay, well now I've just told all of my fans, "Hey, go to Bandcamp in exchange for 150 bucks." Fuck that! <laughs> if, Band, if Bandcamp contacted me right now and they said, "Hey, Jeffrey, we have this idea. Can you do a commercial for us and tell all of your fans to go to Bandcamp? We'll pay you 150 bucks." Be like, "Fuck you! No yeah. way!" Like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's this weird. To me, it's like it's nice, but it's also not nice. Like, I understand the. I, I don't do it. You'll never catch me saying. Well, I don't never say never. Maybe I'll do it someday. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I never 
I'm never like, hey, it's Bandcamp Friday. Go to my thing. Because I'm like, it, yeah. I and say it would the compromise word. Thing. Yeah, a huge aspect of the whole, yeah, the whole thing. I mean, I still say go check out my stuff on Bandcamp because I have to right. tell people where yeah. to find the stuff. So I'm advertising no. for them regardless. But I just feel like the Bandcamp Friday thing is like, it's a little scammy. And I, I you know, it just yeah. rubs the wrong way in that sense. certainly successfully had a conversation we certainly successfully did yeah i like deeply deeply feel honored to have your time for that uh conversation i hope it was at least enjoyable to sit and chat you know yeah it's nice to feel wanted glad somebody wants to talk to me (laughs) but uh i'm always in danger of just uh talking and talking and there's other stuff i should be doing yeah time passes um thanks a lot I, i really do appreciate it um it was it was wonderful to to connect with you um oh thank you nice talking hopefully see you in person sometime yeah man take good care